Hello everyone and welcome to Back of the Grid. My name's Chris and I'm joined just this week by Tom. Hello. For a, a rare two-man episode. Uh, yeah, ha- happens from time to time. I mean, if F1 drivers need weekends off, sometimes exactly, so yeah. they're podcast presenters. <laughs> Thankfully not for the same reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will, I will <laughs> stress. Stu does not have COVID. I repeat, Stu does not have COVID. <laughs> A time of recording, anyway. I don't know what he's up to tonight, but hopefully <laughs> yeah, well, he's yeah. not. I mean, yeah, you could look, play this back at a point, and it doesn't play too well, but yeah. As, um, as of this moment, he does not. <laughs> I guess, I mean, it's been another insane week of Formula One, which has been the case most weeks this season, I think. But I guess we'll start with the news that happened a day after our last podcast, which was that Lewis Hamilton had caught COVID and would be missing the race, which... It came as quite a surprise because he's been one of the most outspoken people in the whole sport about the need for everyone to be incredibly careful. And he's, I think more than any other driver, he's just been locking himself away at every opportunity. Like he was the one back in Australia that was saying, I don't even know why we're here. I don't think we should be before anything happens. So for him to get it was quite a surprise. Yeah. I mean, it also shows, it goes to show though as well that as careful as you are sometimes that it, that it all it takes is that one moment of of lapsing like not someone maybe not having a mask when they're in close proximity to you that that one handshake when you kind of have a momentary lapse where you forget about like that's all it takes yeah like some of the guys on sky sports this uh, weekend were sort of saying we're getting people saying you know why are you still out there wearing masks all the time even when you're outside and stuff and like this proved why like it only takes as you say one lapse for someone to get taken down and although we've only heard really about the three drivers there's actually been a lot of people in the paddock like Williams in particular have had it really bad I think it was two races ago Ted Kravitz said they had something like 14 staff at the race who don't normally do races just because they had so many people that needed replacing because of quarantines and stuff so yeah, there's a there's a lot of teams that I think have had like a bit of a cycle of staff. Yeah, some of it I think's partly been to try and minimise people's exposure within the paddock, but also a lot of it has also been the fact that um, people have had to have time off for, for an isolation point of view. And the thing is, as well, as soon as one person within that team, um, like within a car's crew, comes down with symptoms then that's potentially that whole crew that needs to be isolated because they're within a bubble or at least they need to be tested yeah a a, a negative test back because this is the strange thing with hamilton as far as uh, i've heard he's the only person within mercedes so it doesn't sound like it's anything within the f1 circle he's got it from so it's very strange but i mean the thing that i found interesting when it comes going back to perez's case uh, when he missed the british pair of races the reason or the the source he thought of him contracting it was actually like like slightly ironic in the sense that he'd hired a private chef to to cook for him so that he wasn't having to go out for meals or having things delivered from places he didn't know and he believed that ironically that person he'd employed (laughs) into his personal staff to keep him safe had actually brought COVID into his into his like bubble I guess yeah. and that was where that was the downfall 
Um, so, it, I mean, it could be something similar for Lewis, like somebody within that small bubble that he has of support has potentially brought it in. I'm, yeah, I'm uh, sure he'll want to figure it out given how careful mm. he's been. Yeah. There we go. Uh, obviously, as soon as you found this out, there were the internet went insane. There were lots of sort of rumors and stuff. Uh, George Russell was one of the first names on most people's lists. I, to be honest, never really expected it to happen. You know, he's, he's a Williams driver. He's got a Williams contract. But, I mean, kudos to Mercedes, I guess, for thinking of him first and putting in the work to get him released and for Williams for allowing it to happen. I mean, we don't know what Williams got in return for that. I'd like to find out <laughs> yeah. how Mercedes uh, sweetened that deal for them. I do want to give a quick word to Stoffel Van Dorn. This this is the fourth race now where he was technically the first choice reserve driver for a missing driver, and he's still got nowhere near a Formula One car this year, which is a bit of a shame, but you can understand why Mercedes wanted to get Russell in the car. I mean, if if this had happened on the Thursday, say, it would have been Van Dorn without a doubt just because there wasn't time, but the timing of it just gave them enough time to... uh, to figure things out. Obviously, results-wise, it didn't quite pan out, but without getting into all of what went on just yet, I think it's fair to say he took the opportunity with both hands, didn't he? I am just so impressed with with what he was able to achieve in those few days. Yeah, I think results aside, to be as close as he was to Bottas, I mean... Practice is a difficult gauge, as we've always said about everything, because different drivers, even within a, the same team, can be running different uh, setups and configurations in terms of fuel load and and run objectives, things like that. So, practice is never like a true gauge. But the thing about Bottas is Bottas is always the faster of the two in Mercedes over those practice sessions, and then. Lewis kind of pips him in the last couple of qualifying sessions. And that that's usually how a weekend goes. So for George to hit the ground like he did and, and be ahead of Bottas in some of those practice sessions, Bottas looked a little bit uneasy, I think, on Friday for me. like He struggled to put a clean lap together, in all honesty, I think. So yes, I think he could have probably been faster overall had he managed to. But he appeared to be really struggling to to get to grips with certain uh, sectors of the track. I mean, some of it we already know, but that middle sector, he just and the, the change to turn four, he just seemed to be really struggling to hook them up and get a clean lap, which maybe meant George that the being P one in FP one and FP two was maybe a little bit flattering to George. But I mean, to be within a tenth of your teammate in qualifying in that scenario is impressive. Yeah, you can't. You cannot take that away from him. And and his performance during the race, you cannot take that away from him. Um, look aside, and the the issues that they had, you know, with the pit stops, and and then obviously the puncture that I'm sure we'll cover in more detail. But like, take that bad look out of the equation. He was handily ahead of Bottas for sections of that race. Yeah, handily. And and you have to frame it all as well around the fact that. It's a car he'd never driven before. He he didn't fit in it, like not yeah. at all. Like just seeing how much higher his head was in the cockpit than any other driver was kind of hilarious. 
Um, he had to wear like boots a size too small. Mercedes have said he literally couldn't press the brake pedal as hard as he ideally needed to because he just didn't have the room to like bend his legs in the way he'd need to. So yeah. Bottas was normally better than him on the brakes because he physically couldn't press the brake pedal hard enough. But, you know, he was being rattled around that car. I was having to ice him down after every session because he was so battered and bruised. And among all of that and, you know, the pressure that as much as Mercedes tried to play it down and they were saying, you know, if he can finish top five would be an amazing result for him. But this was his big chance to really show what he can do. And to, among all of that, as you say, qualify within a tenth, uh, have a lightning start with a clutch paddle that you can't really get your fingers around properly. <laughs> yeah. And just the pace he had, like at one point he, he pulled about an eight second gap around the pit stops. Like it was, and again, Bottas, I think struggled a lot this weekend for various reasons. Like he never quite seemed there on setup and, and stuff, but even so he, he had the pace on him. And I think importantly as well is that with everything going on, he never really seemed to let the pressure get to him either. He always seemed quite calm. And yeah. when things didn't go well for him, he just got his head down and went for it. Um, I mean, he's shown that he's still got the uh, the skills to overtake people, which is not something he gets the chance to do all that often in the Williams, but he very much hasn't lost that yeah. ability. I think with the wheel-to-wheel combat, we've seen him in, seen him in defensively yeah. in the Williams... I think that's probably what's kept him as as fresh as he looked. Like he he didn't look like he'd missed a beat, did he? From his Formula no. Two time, in all honesty. Um, so I, I mean, I I was impressed with how quick he got to grips with it, and I think it's a testament to two things. I think it is a testament to the car, and that, yes, there's there's hordes of people out there on the internet saying George achieved what he did because the car's so good. Of course he did. <laughs> that that that's a yeah. given. But it's you can only be directly compared to your teammate in the, in those scenarios. And in my opinion, George did a better job with that car on the given weekend. Yeah, um, totally. And, and especially considering a couple of the things that you pointed out with, you know, the way he was struggling to fit in the thing in the first place, and the the awkward like brake position imped um, problem, and and the you know the lack of movement that he had with the wheel to a degree hmm. so yeah very it's, impressive yeah it's it's sort of similar to what Carlos Sainz said after Hamilton wrapped up his championship like he said yes you could put any driver in that Mercedes and they'd probably win races but not many of them would still be able to beat Hamilton and similar to that yeah. like you could you could have put any driver in that car with that little notice and they'd probably have been running up in the podium positions but to be beating the other full-time driver, whatever the issues they had, and be that on the pace is, it's it's very, very impressive. I mean, you know, let's not yeah. pretend we haven't always been George Russell fans on this podcast because we never miss a chance to talk of George Russell. We all really like him. But I, I was honestly expecting him to finish or be in the running for like fourth or fifth, maybe Nick a podium at best. And that would have been really impressive. But what he managed to do honestly blew me away. I didn't expect anything like that sort of pace from him. I mean, the thing for me with this comes to a comparison of... So so there's, there's two drivers that get a lot of plaudits for. They're two of the best on the grid currently. That's Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. They both get those kind of plaudits. Yeah. Bottas gets a lot of flack for not beating Hamilton enough. 
obviously Albon gets a lot of flack for not being close enough to Max. That that's that's just what happens. But for Russell to be airdropped into that car and be as close to Bottas as he was and potentially beating Bottas at times and Albon being so far away from Max's pace all weekend and you know struggling to to pick up decent points in that car. I mean, yeah, fair enough. The car's not particularly suited to the circuit, but at the end of the day, we, we saw where Max qualified. We saw what the car was capable of in Max's hands. The gap from Max to Alex Albon is so much more significant than the, the gap of Russell to Bottas or Russell to a potential Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, if you consider where Bottas is normally compared to Hamilton. And that that's the thing that, that stands out for people and yeah fair enough that he's going to be looking at a top five position i would say in that car he ought to be i mean he ought to be looking at the podium in that car because of how mm. dominant it is but he's still got to actually get out there and do it and i, I think as well that after the puncture and dropping out of the points because of that and then to get his head down and just use that car's potential to get himself back in those points. That's the kind of thing that we only ever see a handful of drivers manage. Hmm. Not, not many drivers start dropping down the order because of unplanned pit stops and then go out and actually start reclaiming the positions. There's only a handful like Max and Lewis really are, are two of the main two that do it. You don't, and I guess Charles has done it a little bit, and then Seb in the past. Yeah, but totally. not not many with such a short time. Go right, I've got to get my head down, and I've got to get these positions back. Yeah, and again, so. most of those examples are people who at least like you know did testing and done other races. Like you have to keep yeah. remembering this guy got in the car two days before for the first time. It's yeah, yeah just incredibly impressed with him. Um, if there was ever any doubt that he was sort of the real deal Mercedes think he is. I think that's blown out of the water now. <clears throat> yes, I'd agree. Uh, obviously, it didn't all go great for him. I guess we'll get into the Mercedes calamity. Uh, it <laughs> died with the safety car, which was for Latifi, wasn't it? The initial safety car. Latifi went out with an oil leak. Um, yes. Mercedes didn't need to pit. The tyres they were on probably could have gone to the end, particularly for Russell. Um they said they went for a safety stop. Um, I guess the the worry was that after a safety car restart, the likes of uh, Perez Stroll on behind on fresher tyres could have been a risk. Probably wouldn't have been, but could have been. Um, yeah. I mean, the irony of calling it a safety stop when we know what happens is there, but there we go. Uh, it was a pretty late call to do a double stack pit stop. Um, it from what I've read, it sounds like if the call had been about two seconds later, Russell would have missed the pit entrance and none of it would have happened. So that's the kind of like margins they were working to. The reason they've said it all went wrong is that they had a failure of the intercom system within the uh, garages. Um, they essentially have a system where if multiple people are talking at once, there's kind of a priority list. Um, so it will cut everyone else to have the highest priority person speaking. And I think the absolute highest priority is the, I can't remember the guy's name, but it's basically the guy who calls for the tires. So tells the pit crews to grab this tire set for this driver. And essentially something went wrong with his priority system and the bit of the message for Russell's tires went missing while the Bottas one went through, which is why they were out there with 
uh, a set of tyres for Bottas ready and then Russell was the first car that appeared basically. Uh, they think it's one of these things where the potential for this issues to happen has been in their system for years and years without them realising and it just happened to be that this was the moment that particular gremlin showed its face and it's always the worst possible moments yeah. these things happen isn't it um so yeah bottas went out with sorry russell went out with two of bottas's tires on which meant he had to come straight back in um it, initially people were thinking he might have been disqualified for that um sort of flicking through the rule book the fact that he came straight back in kind of helped their case interestingly in the stewards report afterwards they um so they fined Mercedes, I think it was 20,000 euros, but they didn't give Russell any kind of penalty. And the stewards actually said, a note for the FIA, there's actually nothing in the official rules that covers this eventuality. So it might be a good idea to put something in just in case it happens again. Because yeah. we've had before, it was Bottas actually, wasn't it? At Williams, he went out with like three softs and one medium on or something like that. Yes, um, he did. But we've never had someone putting on someone else's tyres before. Uh, Bottas had it even worse. He was stationary for nearly 30 seconds. And in the end, they just put the same tires back on and sent him out. And there was like all the radio messages. They didn't even seem to know what tires he was on for some time. It was, yeah, yeah just, it's, I mean, this highlights the fact that we've talked about in the past that you do not really want to be making a pit stop unless you have to because mm. of the element of risk involved yeah. in a pit stop and i think the sheer just panic and issue that went on during this double stack shows that the, the that exact reason of why you would avoid pit stops if you don't have to go through with them and i think like mercedes demonstrate in the past that the double stack is normally a thing that they are very good at but one of the things that won't help in this scenario is we don't know how much of that team is the regular pit stop team. We don't know good how point, many yeah. of those people have been replaced because some have had to isolate due to Lewis's situation. We, we don't know anything about that scenario, so I don't even want to speculate on it. But there's a good chance that that is not a full-strength Mercedes pit team, and that could also play a factor in those kind of situations. And speculation aside, I... I wouldn't be surprised if that was a reason for yeah. the pit stop, or at least part of it. That potentially uh, also have less time to practice pit stops this season just because of them spending less time traveling yeah. to the factory and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's an interesting point. Yeah, and I think just to correct something, was the safety car not for when Aitken managed to three actually yes you're right his, it was his front wing off by the way yes it was it was um it, it, it was just after latifi had retired like a couple of laps after but i think it was it wasn't latifi's yes it was pull a, up that was if that, that was a vsc was, wasn't it for latifi yeah and then the, the full safety car i think yeah, was you're right aiken's little pirouette <laughs> the wall yeah. Which, he, which, by the way, was lucky to only lose the front wing. Very lucky, yes. <laughs> Especially considering the crash that uh, Albon had at that corner uh, the week before. Yeah. It could be pretty forgiving, that one. So he did well to only lose the front wing. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Like, we have seen pit mistakes from Mercedes on a couple of occasions this year. And I guess it... 
I guess it shows that Mercedes aren't bulletproof. Like the opportunities are there for Mercedes to be beaten. The the difference is normally they have the outright pace to be able to get away with maybe a few more mistakes. Yeah. And it just shows that if we did have a few teams closer to them on pace this year, they might have had a bit more of a run for their money on some occasions. But the outright pace of that car is just far too strong, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I guess the nature of the track maybe played against them because it the there's so few braking points. Like four what is it, four braking points yeah. in the Formula One car they were saying? So that's what, turn one, turn four, into the chicane at eight, nine, I think it was yeah. officially. And then the final corner at, that's like ten and eleven. It, well, some say it's one corner, some say it's two, yeah. but that 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 final part at the end of the the straight, like that's it, and it's a fifty something second lap even at race pace, <laughs> so it's it's a scenario where that I think that gap is naturally closed in because there's so little in terms of like traditional track for the Mercedes to really stretch out its advantage. Yeah. Because it's, it, I mean, yes, they've got a power advantage, but the other, the other engines aren't that far behind them anymore. And in skinny aero, a lot of teams are going to be pretty close to them. And we know full well that the Mercedes is basically never the fastest through the speed traps. We know that. So this was always a potential for other teams to be right on their tails and all it needed was this mistake, mm. which, and I think that proves it. Yeah, completely. That proved that, really. Yeah. Russell, I mean, F- go on, sorry. I, just, sorry, sorry, just another thought that pops into my head that sort of, I guess, backs that up is another race where there was issues that held up a Mercedes and they never recovered. Lewis mm. and Monza. Yeah, it's true, actually. I mean, it, it's so And it is another proof. example of, of a high-speed circuit. Yeah, Further proof that that Mercedes doesn't like following other cars. Yeah, that that and it is beatable on just pure straight line speed. Yeah, <laughs> we need more tracks. <laughs> little to no braking zones. <laughs> uh, that being said, Russell was at, able to fight his way back up to second place. I mean, aided by the fact that he had uh, brand new tires on after his uh well, that would be his third stop, I think, when he finally got a set of his yeah. own tyres on uh, before he picked up a puncture, which, ironically, there's a good chance that puncture came from a piece of the Williams he normally drives after Jack Aitken knocked yeah. the front wing off, which is uh, a little painful. He he said he thought he'd be able to catch Perez. Perez said he thought he'd be able to hold him off. I guess we'll never know. <laughs> the gap didn't seem to be coming down quite fast enough from what I was watching, but... I do think we lost out on a heck of a battle for a win there. I think that was going to come right down to the line. Yeah. I, like, I mean, the, the way that he got himself into that position in the first place after the the botched pit stops yeah, was, like, I, I, was, in, I was just seriously impressed. Like, the, the way he carved apart. And, yeah, it's a... It's a car that we expect to beat those cars he was overtaking. That, you... you but that's not an argument for me because Bottas couldn't do it. And you can argue tyres with me all you want of Russell was on a softer compound. doesn't matter because we, I think we all know in our heart of hearts that Lewis 
would have got through those cars the same way Russell got through those cars, and at the end of the day, Bottas didn't. No, regardless, it's, it's never been. I think something, there's something to be said for that. It's never been something that's high up in Bottas's skill set, for sure. No. And also just the fact that after after losing the leader of the race like that, it would have been so easy and forgivable for him to lose his head, to overdrive it, to clumsily crash into someone, trying to get past them, and he just didn't. He just yeah put it behind him, got on with it, and just it was it was just very sort of aggressive but clinical and clean the way he just kind of carved his way past. I mean, the pick of the bunch being the way he passed Bottas. And again, yeah, it was a limping Bottas on tyres that had done a ludicrous amount of race at that point and had been sat still for 30 seconds in the pit lane to go stone cold. <laughs> but even so, it wasn't just, he didn't just drive past him a straight line. Like it was a proper yeah, ballsy yeah. wheel-to-wheel overtake. He had to put himself in the position and, and force Bottas to, to yield to him. Yeah. Regardless. And come on, regardless of the situation as well, is Bottas really just going to sit back and let that happen? Yeah, no Knowing chance. That this, this young guy is in the car making a pitch for why he should be <laughs> Lewis's teammate and not Valtteri. Like that that's what George Russell is there to do at the end of the day. He is there to to show Mercedes this is why I should be in this car alongside another driver, whether it be Valtteri or whether it be Lewis. It doesn't matter who is alongside. He he was there to showcase himself as the next person to be offered a Mercedes contract outside the current two. Mm-hmm. So it's in Valtteri's best interest to not just roll over and let that happen. Um, but he was given no choice with, with the way. Yeah. Like, I mean, it was it was a move that built up over, what, three to four corners? It started on the, it started in turn four, basically, didn't it? Yeah. And it, it ended going through the chicane. So yeah, that, that little sequence there was so fun. Like across yeah. F1 and F2, there were so many wheel-to-wheel battles through there. Yeah, much better use of that sector than the original oh, the, layout of Bahrain. The, the endurance because, layout, they call it. Yeah, well, it was it was an endurance event trying to get to a race <laughs> there. Um, I mean, it, the races were not entertaining on that version of the circuit. But I think there's something to be said for the exit of that chicane uh, going onto that sort of, I guess, final straight, you'd call it. Because before, you could obviously see it from the overhead shots but you used to kind of turn right again after that so after the chicane that you saw them going through we saw them go straight towards what's always been the final turn you could actually see the right hand turn that would have normally come after that and for those who never saw the races when we first started going to Bahrain you used to do that bit of track that they were doing this weekend but then after the chicane, you immediately turned right again and you ended up round or heading down towards the, the sharp left-handed turn, didn't you? Yeah, like turn... I don't know what it's, it is. I yeah, mean, that, it's like turn nine, I think, in the, the, on the normal current track. GP circuit. Yeah. And we, we used to go round that sector, but then come back on ourselves and go to that like, like infield bit with the straight that goes along the back of the pits. It was awful, which wasn't we, it? Which we used to. And... Yeah, I mean, it was a joke saying it was an injurious event trying to watch a race there, but it genuinely wasn't. So it wasn't dope. good for racing. But it's... the way that, that that new exit works for that chicane of 
going onto that sort of flat out run down towards the final corner, I think that makes it work a lot better. Yeah, it's, it's a really, considering it's something they have literally never had anything race at until this weekend, it works yeah. really well. Yeah, yeah definitely. So Russell eventually fought his way back up to ninth place, which means he did score his first points in F1, which is, I doubt, much consolation to him. <laughs> it's he, he was obviously really disappointed after the race. I'm sure he will, in time, look back on this as a hugely successful weekend. I mean, the fact that we have spent the entire podcast talking about him so far, and this was a race where we had a brand new winner, like... <laughs> Yeah, it, it's. I almost feel sorry for Perez because all the talk this weekend has been about Russell, and for the most part, remains about Russell. But yeah, he was just. It, it really felt like a a future star properly arriving, and you don't see that every day. No, I, I think he proved why people like us that have followed him for a number of years through junior categories have been excited to see him be part of the Mercedes program and finally get this opportunity. Um, yeah. And I think he showed that he can perform in the, in those high-pressure scenarios that that seat would bring. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We don't know yet if Luce is going to be back next week, or this weekend, I should say. At least we don't at the time of recording. As usual, I'm sure by the time this podcast is released, we will know. Um, he seems to have had a much tougher time of it than either Stroll or Perez did. Um, Toto said he had been really suffering with symptoms for a few days. He did release a video today saying he was feeling a lot better and he was back in training today and he's working towards being in Abu Dhabi this weekend. He will need to pass four COVID tests, though, apparently. Um, interestingly, no one seems to know when those COVID tests need to be, whether that's four across four consecutive days or four in the space of 10 minutes, no one seems to know the answer to. Um, and I think Abu Dhabi require 24 hours in isolation on arrival as well. So technically, if he does all that before the start of qualifying on Saturday, he'll be okay. That's the latest that someone can get in the car and compete through the whole weekend. But I would imagine Mercedes will want to know before Friday whether... yeah like who's going to be in that car or not. And I, I imagine we're going to know in the next couple of days because, yeah, you don't want to be having drivers chop and change sort of between Friday and Saturday, ideally, do you? No, not really. <laughs> uh, should we move on to the rest of the race? Yeah, let's talk about something outside of that, that, <laughs> that one team. <laughs> uh, Sergio Perez won. Yeah, I'm, I'm really happy for him to um, be totally yeah. honest with you. It's... It's a a momentous achievement in a season that has, I mean, it's had really good peaks for him, but it's also had a lot of lows. Yeah. Like this being the prime peak, but the, a combination of missing races due to COVID and losing the seat that he's currently in being momentous lows as well. So. Yeah. It's one of those results that just everyone is happy to see it, isn't it? Like, you know, yes, other yeah. teams and drivers will be upset that it wasn't them winning the race, but at the same time, everyone just seems to have some level of happiness that Perez finally got a win that he so much deserves. Like, he's he's come pretty close in the past and he's always been a quick driver. So it's, yeah, just so good to see him on the top step. 
It didn't start well for him at all. He was involved in that turn four incident we mentioned on the first lap with Leclerc and Verstappen. He was actually the only one of those three to keep going. Uh, Leclerc basically admitted fault for that. Uh, I thought at the time he was being a bit ambitious, trying to stick it up the inside there. It it sort of seemed like... Because Verstappen was between Perez and Leclerc and then Verstappen backed it. I kind of felt sorry for Verstappen because that was some of the more cautious lap one driving I've seen from Verstappen. He actually backed out of it quite quickly and then just sort of got stuck with nowhere to go. But yeah, it sort of felt like Perez couldn't really see where Leclerc was because of Verstappen being there. So by the time he turned in, you know, he, he thought he would go for the apex. Leclerc ends up with a three-place grid drop this weekend for that. Do you think that's fair? I think it was ambitious from Charles, if I'm totally honest. Um, I could, whether I apportion all the blame to him, I don't know, but it's definitely far heavier weighted on Charles's side than yeah. anyone else's. Uh, because it did seem ambitious from a long way back. And yeah, it's the, the, the surprising thing is that it didn't take Perez out. Yes. Yeah, they build the, those the, racing points strong. Yeah. Like in scenarios like that, we do normally see like sort of broken rear suspension. Yeah. In, in that kind of contact as demonstrated by Leclerc's broken front suspension. Mm. Um, I was, Part of me was a little bit disappointed with Max because he didn't actually have any contact in any of it. He was just trying to get out of the way. I, I'm not 100% sure if some of Max's issue there was flashbacks to um, Sochi. Where, do you remember where he kept his foot in it and yeah. threaded that needle? Yeah. And I, do, I don't know if maybe some of it was that mentality of, I can get through this if I keep my foot in it. And then it was already too late. Maybe he didn't realize how much gravel was actually out there. Because I know I've noticed from seeing a few cars in gravel over this weekend, like in F2 and stuff as well, that the gravel around that circuit looks awfully a lot like asphalt <laughs> from a distance. <laughs> yeah. Especially in the dark when you're racing in, in floodlight. Which is supposed to be the thing they do the track walks for, isn't it? To well, spot yeah, I, I guess I, I guess they do have those scenarios, don't they? They've had multiple practice sessions, they've had track walks and so on. They've been here two weekends in a row. Like, there's plenty of excuses for him to kn- to have known that that was gravel. So it's probably not that. But I just think he maybe got a bit ambitious, thinking he could maintain more speed than he could yeah. trying to rejoin the track. I think it's uh, unfortunate, though. Yeah, I, I mean, he lo- he did look quite strong, didn't he? He did, yeah. That point. So it, yeah, it definitely it knocked uh, one of the leading contenders out early on. Yeah, that dropped Perez to last place. He had to pit at the end of the first lap, which basically put him onto a um, a one lap, uh, sorry, one stop strategy from last place at that point. But basically, from that point onwards, he just outdid everyone else on pace, didn't he? He just kept pounding his way forward. Obviously, strategy-wise, people ahead of him pitted, but he just he was just so fast. Like I didn't really realize how quickly he was working his way through the field until it got sort of 
you know, it felt like yeah. 30 laps in maybe, I suddenly glanced up and he was kind of in the top six. It's like, how has he got that far up that quickly? He, like, yes, he was in a position where he took some advantage from the safety car and then he obviously inherited the lead because of the whole Mercedes fiasco, but he very much put himself in the position to be the one to take advantage of that. Like, his pace was just in, so impressive. And I guess, I guess, as we've said before, like, if you need a driver to stretch out tires and maintain good pace to get a result, he's going to be your first choice, isn't he? Like, he's that's yeah. what he's so good at. Um, he did... 46 laps after that initial uh, lap one pit stop before he finally pitted um, and took another set to the end. Yeah, I was just just so impressed. And no one else really looked close to challenging me either. Like, I I didn't think Russell was going to be able to catch him, if I'm completely honest, at the point when he was chasing him down. It didn't look like Russell had enough on him to catch him. Yeah, I think that it would have at least been a very interesting last lap or two. Maybe Russell could have got close, but I don't think he would have ever got close enough. Yeah, and then considering but... Stroll pitted the lap before him and Ocon pitted on the same lap as him, he just got past those guys like they were standing still. It was yeah, yeah. such an impressive drive. Um, it's the first time he's won in anything in 10 years, going right back to his GP2 days. Wow. I've always been. How long has it been in F one now? It's probably been about ten. About ten years, years yeah. I think the last time yeah. he won a race was his last season in GP two. Yeah, he's also the only driver in the history of Formula One to win a race after being last at the end of the first lap, which is a heck of a stat. He and he's also the he takes the record for the longest a driver has had to wait for his first win. This was his one hundred ninetieth start. He takes that record from Mark Webber, who had to wait one hundred thirty races for his first win. Wow. Which, again, he probably should have had wins before now. He's had the opportunity to have been there from time to time and it's not quite panned out. But yeah, it's just it was just so nice to see and makes it all the crazy that as things currently stand, he doesn't have a seat for next year. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean how close was he to a podium the week before as well? Yeah, it's only that failure that um, stopped him having back-to-back podiums. Yeah, so... He's definitely extracting the most out of that car at the minute, which does beg the question of why have other teams not looked at him? It really does. It really, yeah. And like you say as well, it's kind of a win that everybody's got no problem with. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm hard-pressed to find someone that's got an issue with Sergio Perez picking up 25 points <laughs> right now. Yeah, completely. So, yeah. <laughs> He was joined at the podium by Ocon and Stroll, who both only made one stop, uh, staying out while others, most of them did two stops. Uh, they also took advantage of the safety car. Ocon in particular, he undercut Stroll to um, take second and then held off what really was a much faster car in the racing point to, uh, for Ocon to take his first podium for second place, which is a result he really needed, wasn't he? It's been a tough yeah. old year for Ocon. Uh, he, he, he needed to get a couple of results ahead of Ricardo, I think. Mm. And to be able to do what Ricardo has already done a couple of times of be in that position of if the the top teams are going to flounder, we've got to be there. That's where Ricardo's obviously been a couple of times this season along with the racing points. So it was good for Ocon to 
to have that chance. And it brings us back, I guess, to a slightly interesting point we've touched on before of like, was it like ring rust? Was it just the fact that he'd been out of it for a little while? Yeah. And with it being his first year back, being up against a driver like Ricardo that's been very consistent in his time in Formula One that's coming up to being quite a long time himself now for Danny Rick that he's, since he started with Hispania, as it was at the time, was it on yeah. HRT? So, like, to be up against someone like that can't be easy when you've had time away. And maybe this is a sign of him starting to get some of that back, some of that potential that people thought he had while he was at Force India. Yeah, because, um, I mean, he had good pace all weekend and it sort of looked like he'd messed it up in qualifying. Like, he was fourth place in practice two and three, but then only managed to qualify. Mm-hmm. He was 11th, wasn't he? He got knocked out in Q2. Um, yeah, Ricardo didn't have a brilliant time in quality, though. No, Ricardo was even further back, I think. I know oh, he wasn't sorry. Ricardo just got into uh, Q3 and he qualified seventh in the end. Yeah, um, helped which, by McLaren. They, they were expecting a... a lot more. Than yeah, that, they I were, think, especially after at, the practice sessions. I mean, I was expecting a lot more of Renault at this circuit, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. Or this version of this circuit, anyway. Um, yeah, Ricardo was pretty disappointed with fifth place, but yeah, that's really, really good for Ocon. It was a, a really solid drive and. I think what he needs before he goes up against a two-time world champion next season as well. Yeah. Yeah, it will be interesting to see if he can carry this momentum into the final weekend and then ultimately into next season. Yeah. Third place for Stroll. It was a solid drive. I, I would argue he may be should have been spending those last few laps chasing Ocon for second rather than holding off signs for third, but mm. still uh, still a damn good drive from him for... Is that his second podium of the season? Third, maybe? Yeah, it's second of the season and third third overall yeah. because he got the one at Williams, didn't he? Uh, yes, that's right. Of course he did. A <laughs> fun stat I saw. Who was the last person to drive Perez's car other than Perez? Nico Hulkenberg. Who was the last person to drive Stroll's car other than Stroll? Oh, yeah, Nico Hulkenberg. And who was the last person to drive the second Renault alongside Daniel Ricciardo? Oh, yeah, Nico Hulkenberg. <laughs> it was a... Uh... Who, who was the person who was originally considered for a seat in a Mercedes at one point other than Lewis oh, Hamilton? yeah, Nico Hulkenberg. Yeah! <laughs> yeah. There's a... There's a, there's a... There's a trend here. <laughs> it was slightly indirectly, but he was a po- yeah a podium made up of cars that Hulkenberg has driven and still never got a podium himself. <laughs> I mean, that brings the number of drivers we've had on the podium this season up to, I think it must be the highest number in years, hadn't it? I might, yeah, it might be the highest for a while. Early, number of teams particularly, I think that's the, probably the more impressive thing about the yeah. number is what's that we've now had uh, Ferrari drivers both on there, Mercedes drivers, Red Bull drivers, both Renault drivers, and both um, Racing Point drivers. So that's five teams. Yes, yeah, I believe. Fact, have we had both Alpha Tauris on the podium as well? Has uh, Kvyat had a podium this season? Um, no, I don't think he has. Oh, no, he was fourth, yeah. wasn't he? In... I, I believe I'm right in saying yeah, we're up to... In it's been 13 of the 23 drivers this season have stood on the podium. Yeah. Which we haven't been able to say that for a, yeah. a I mean, good number of years, I don't think. I'm I'm very surprised that five of the teams have had 
both their drivers on the podium. Oh, no, six, because McLaren have had both drivers on the podium. Yes, of course they have. Six, six teams have had both their drivers on the podium at some point this season. That is... I mean, you can talk about Mercedes dominance all you want, but six drivers, uh, sorry, six teams to have had like both drivers represent them on the podium at some point this season is quite unprecedented considering how much everyone bangs on about how dominant Lewis Hamilton and the Mercedes is. Yeah. I can forgive you for forgetting Norris's podium because he didn't really stand on a podium. He stood on a sort of box while a robot drove his trophy (laughs) for him. So he didn't really feel like one. And was Sainz's this season where he never actually got on there? No, that was Brazil last year. The end of last season. Yeah, Brazil. And then he finally got one this season. Yeah, at Monza. Yeah. That double podium (laughs) for Racing Point obviously has huge ramifications in the fight for third place in the Constructors. Uh, That now obviously gives (laughs) them the advantage going into the final race. They're leading McLaren by 10 points now. Uh, Craziness. McLaren had a pretty ropey weekend all in all, but it was a really really solid drive to get fourth place for signs um it probably could have been a podium but he went into the pits literally as the virtual safety car was ending so he uh, lost all that advantage which dropped him way down yeah. to fight back which is a shame uh norris was started way down in 19th after a bad qualifying and he had uh, engine change as well didn't he yeah, uh, yeah. he managed to go from Penalties. 19th to 10th on the first lap but then he got he had quite a nice little battle with Albon and Perez for a few laps, but he ultimately came off worse there. Um, helped a bit by the virtual safety car, and he passed Gasly on track for 10th place. So it was a double points finish for McLaren, but only just. Um, and yeah, as I say, Ricardo was really disappointed. He lost out quite heavily doing the safety car. Um, but he has sort of helped Renault close the gap a little as well. They're now only 12 points behind McLaren. So it's still very, very close going into the final race of the season yeah it's still it looks good for racing points but 10 points a 10 point swing is not unheard of this year well i mean the number of points that they've just scooped up with that with those podiums well exactly yeah it, well, it only takes similar events for one of the other two teams chasing them to suddenly swing that back were mclaren about 15 ahead um going into this race 10 or 15 was it i think well, yeah, they looked pretty solid because they'd had a good result mm. with both cars. Yeah. And Racing Point were coming off the back of a double DNF. Yes, of course they were. So it was it was looking in McLaren's favour, despite this, this version of the circuit potentially not suiting them. It was still looking in their favour because they had the lead. And I guess nobody would have predicted a double podium for Racing Point, but got to be in it to win it haven't you <laughs> like exactly they've, yeah. they've done literally other than the Ocon being ahead of stroll scenario they've done literally pretty much as good as they can do with what they've been dealt there yeah absolutely quickly mention albon he didn't have a great day again but as we've said many times this year it wasn't helped by his team he ended up doing 15 laps on the hard tire then 25 laps on the soft tire at the end of the race which doesn't make a whole lot of sense uh, he came mm. home sixth and he said that was about the best he could have managed. He, I mean, he was, he was again, it was an okay weekend for him, but still not really near enough uh, to Verstappen. I've actually read some analysis this week of someone sort of checking times across the whole season. And 
it basically shows that Albon has sort of stabilized speed and results wise, but he's not really getting any closer to Verstappen in these last few races, which is kind of what Red Bull want to see, isn't it? They need him to be improving and closing that gap. And yeah, it, what I mean, what must Red Bull be thinking at this point in time? Like, they realistically had three options for that second seat next season. And two of those three are now race winners. I mean, obviously we already know that Gasly is going to be staying at Alpha Tauri. And they keep indicating that Albon is their first choice, but it, it makes things difficult for them, doesn't it? Yeah, it's... <laughs> and I, I find it really hard to believe that Red Bull aren't looking at putting somebody else in that car at the minute and everyone can deny that Perez will never be an option for them because he's not in the Red Bull system and and you know they've all said we're sticking with Albon so we're not replacing him at all people can repeat that as much as they want but if you were Christian Horner, Helmut Marko, and everyone else involved in that team, you've got to be seriously looking at Sergio Perez as this guy could potentially be getting us double podium finishes alongside Max. Well, yeah, this is it, isn't it? It's like, as nice as it is to have this young driver program and spend this time and money and effort moving drivers through the program, ultimately, they're not there to nurture young drivers they're there to win races and win championships that's why every team is in any form of motorsport so if you are struggling for a second driver that's helping you achieve that and again as we as we keep saying we really like alex albon he's a quick racing driver but right now he's not doing the job that red bull need him to do and and i I do want to say like red bull have gained a lot of like it's almost like Red Bull are being blamed right now for Perez not having a seat next year. And it's not Red Bull's job to keep Sergio Perez in Formula One. That was Racing Point's job. Like the only reason that he's not in F1 is because Racing Point wanted Vettel and they didn't want to get rid of the boss's son. So it's not like Red Bull are the villains in this, which I've seen some people suggesting. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely the wrong angle to go out and it's definitely not the angle I was suggesting with what I'm saying. No. I, I'm sure you know that, but I'll just clarify that. Like that is definitely not the angle that anyone should be coming at it from. But I think you can't take the whole, nope, we're sticking with Alex Albon and we are not looking outside of the Red Bull program. I think you have to take that with a pinch of salt because you'd be mad to not at least be considering it, I think, in their position. Especially when Perez is one of the rare drivers that brings speed and money with him. Like It's not even like they'd be giving up one or the other. He's such an attractive prospect, it's kind of crazy that no one else is in the market for him. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like they've not picked up drivers at a later point in their career before in terms of bringing them into the Red Bull system. Yeah. And it's, I mean, not every team looks directly to within their system as well. For for example, 
Sainz didn't come through the McLaren program, but Norris did. Uh, Ricardo won't have come through the McLaren program when he goes there, but obviously Norris did. Uh, yeah. When you look at Renault, I mean, yeah, El- Alonso's got history with them, but he didn't come through their young driver program. No. Well, so, look, look at Mercedes. The weekend just gone was the first time a Mercedes junior driver has ever driven one yeah. of their cars in a race weekend. Um, would Bottas count? Bottas was kind of, Well, he was under Toto's management, wasn't he? Yeah, so, he's always linked to Toto, but he's not always been linked to Mercedes. Yeah. So you like you don't have to take a driver from your. Like, there's there's two angles to this. Obviously, if you have a young driver program and you have drivers that are ready to to make the jump or the step up, however you want to phrase it, then yes, you should be using them. So, like, it irks me a little bit that Renault jerked Aitken around and he ended up at Williams, for example. Yeah. Because Aitken's not quite the finished product yet, I think, maybe, this weekend. He did need to work on a few things, but generally speaking, he looked moderately comfortable and, like, that given a little bit more time, maybe some more practice sessions, he's got potential. But the young driver programs are either A, too quick to put somebody in the seat and it ruins them because they've gone too early, Red Bull particularly, or it's the other way of they string them on for years and then ditch them at the last minute. For example, Aitken with Renault. It's uh, like... And and so on. It's like Red Bull have given themselves this weird self-imposed rule they have to follow (laughs) that doesn't actually help them in the slightest. And again, I've got a lot of respect for the fact that they put so much time and effort into nurturing drivers and um, moving them up. But it's not the be-all and end-all. You don't, as as every other team has proven, you can do that yeah. while also still just bringing in fast drivers from elsewhere, which is what successful race teams do. Yeah, and I think that maybe Red Bull need to be careful in a way because they're junior program i think they've they've wasted a lot of talent that's come through it when you when you look at the people that they've either passed on completely and just just you know ditch before they've even got to formula one or the drivers that they've kind of let go for other options while Mm. they've been in formula one i think it kind of goes to show (laughs) the the kind of talent that they also just let slip like Ricardo. I think you'd be hard pushed to find someone that doesn't that thinks that he's not got the potential given the right set of circumstances. Um, Gasly again, like he seemed to struggle in the Red Bull itself, but he becomes an unstoppable force in the Alpha Tori slash Toro Rosso, whatever you want to call it, because he's driven both. Um, drivers like Buemi mm-hmm. that go on to other series as like Formula E. Um, Algashwari as well had a decent time in Formula E. Brendan Hartley kind of was in the Red Bull program, then got ditched. So went to sports cars, had a really good time in like World Endurance, then came back and kind of got thrown <laughs> under the bus a bit again by Red Bull. And and I mean, in fairness, Hartley's thing was probably always more sports cars than F than open wheel. But that's by the by. John Eric Vern, multiple. Formula E champion, yeah, it's, Carlos Sainz. It's like a <laughs> now list doing of... what he's doing. Like it, it's it's a list of 
of what could have been almost. Yeah, it's either what could have been or it's been successful despite Red Bull almost. Yeah, like, I guess there's that. I mean, Felix da Costa. Felix da Costa, if he'd have been given a chance in the Red Bull car, I think... Oh, he'd have been great. He would have been like a, a potent, like similar to, to what Max is. Like, I think he would have had the potential to challenge top teams and being like a contender like what Seb was because that that's probably about the era that he um well it was to, it was after Seb started winning titles that Felix da Costa kind of came around as being potential for yeah for moving up to that seat but he just never got the opportunity he didn't even get the opportunity to go to Toro Rosso really did he no but he then was again kind of around at the same time as sort of Kvyat um Vern and Bohemi and Alves yeah, were all in the era. Toro Rosso and, but that that's that's always been Red Bull's problem: too many drivers for not enough seats, hmm. and the the unwillingness to to distribute them into other teams. And the ones that don't make it just get cast aside. Yep. Yeah. Mm, yeah. It's. I'm fascinated to see what they do because they're obviously still mulling this over. Um, they've they've kind of uh said in not as many words that if Albon doesn't keep that seat, he'll be on the sidelines next year. They don't have any plans to demote him back to AlphaTauri. So yeah. it's a tough decision they have to make, but they've also said they're not going to make it until after the season. So we're going to be a few more weeks away from that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's one for the off-season. Definitely. I think, isn't it, that they need some serious, yep. serious thought into it. Uh, you've already mentioned Jack Aitken, but we had two rookies this race. Aitken standing in for Russell and Pietro Fittipaldi making his debut, standing in for Grosjean. I think they both did a pretty solid job. As you say, Aitken, there's definitely areas he needs to improve. Um, the mistake he made in the race was a real shame, but he was still within a tenth of Latifi in qualifying, which was a damn impressive performance, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fittipaldi... It was the first time he had ever set foot in that car. Um, so you can forgive him being at the back in qualifying and the back of the race. But he said going into it that he just wanted to have a solid weekend, not make any big mistakes, finish the race. And that's exactly what he did. He came yeah. home last, but he, he finished that race, which is, you know, impressing itself. I think they both did a, a fairly solid job, all in all. Yeah, I mean... I, I... Other than Aitken's mistake in the race uh, that we talked about briefly earlier, I think other than that, he had a pretty all right weekend. Like, I, I forgive both of those two for jumping in like they did because they've had very little time to prepare. Yes, such short. They've notice. not been in the Formula One car um, all season already. Like what George has, like George is just moving to a better piece of machinery, effectively. But he's still so yes, there's adapting to be done. But he's he's still been on that grid week in week out this season. So he he's in the flow of that whole process. And although the machinery is different, it's not so different that it's a completely alien experience for him. The other two have either not even been competing in anything remotely close, like yeah, I mean Fittipaldi or. Aitken's obviously been in Formula 2, so he's been close, but not not to the level that yeah, I mean, you, you get in F1. Fittipaldi, it was, he hasn't driven an F1 car in a year, and he's not raced in any category since February. 
So yeah. to jump in with that little notice and that little preparation and you know still be there or thereabouts on pace and make it to the end of the race was yeah good good on them yeah. I think. There, were, I feel like yeah. there's a million other things in that race that we haven't covered, but it was just non-stop, wasn't it? Like the way you saw that many laps at the start and it felt like it was going to be a long one and they just like ticked through and it felt like every lap there was something going on. But can we boil it all down to a driver of the day? I think had, had it not been for the puncture and it's difficult to take it away from him because of that, because that's not really his fault. Had it not been for the puncture, I think I'd have been 100% in the George Russell camp. But I think uh, last to victory drive for a guy that's fighting for his for a seat next season makes me lean just a tiny bit more towards Perez. It's a very difficult choice between the two. It is. And, I, I mean, Russell absolutely smashed the official vote. He got about 50-something percent. Yeah. Like, you don't see that all that often. No. <laughs> so... <laughs> He absolutely annihilated that vote, but I, I, I think that Perez would have potentially still won that race. So I think I'm gonna go with Perez there. I, I honestly it's difficult, but I honestly can't choose between the two of them. I think they were both like, if if we were in the business of scoring drivers, they were both like ten out of ten drives. For yeah, me. and that that's why it's difficult. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'd, I'd be happy just letting them share it, to be completely honest with you. I don't let, want to have to them. pick between them. I mean, I'm sure after this weekend, winning driver of the day is a, an absolute highlight for George Russell. Oh, I'm sure that'll really help uh, <laughs> console him, yeah. That's that's his cons- consolation prize. Is, yeah, but at least you won driver of the day. Yeah. <laughs> How about move of the day? Um, I mean, there were a few, and... A good number of them came from George Russell. Yeah. I, I, as much as situations set it up, I, I really did enjoy the the flowing, calculating move on Bottas. Because you could see immediately from turn four with the way Bottas defended, you saw the way George was planning that all the way down to the chicane where he actually made the move. And he'd been pretty mighty through that chicane most of the weekend, anyway. So it was it was an apt place for him to make the move. But I, yeah. I think I enjoy, I personally enjoyed that one on a multitude of levels. Not not ju- and it wasn't just being a fan of the driver. It was more just the sec the second Bottas got a little bit out of shape in four. You literally saw. Russell spot his moment. You, yeah. If you if you watch the overhead on the replays of the move, you can see the moment where George Russell sees what Bottas is doing and goes, "I can get him down here." Yeah. And you can just see that with the position of his car and ev- everything he does from that point through five through six, they're all flat out. You can just see where he's planning to be by the end of the chicane. Yeah. And I think that's what always stands out with moves like that for me. It's not always just a single corner lunge from a long way back, Danny Rick style. It's more calculated planning, seeing the race unfold before you, before it's even happened kind of thing. 
Especially and that's what that was. Especially given that he had to go offline on a particularly dusty circuit to do it as well, which always makes yeah. it that much more difficult. Um, yeah. And I think again, as you sort of said, like you can point out the you know yes, Bottas at that point was on just ruined tires, and Russell was on fresh ones and whatever. But it's kind of the the story around the overtake almost adds to it, doesn't it? It's like what what that overtake actually meant to the people involved as well just made it that much more spectacular in the moment. Um, I mean, yeah. I punched the air when he made that stick. I was ecstatic. Um, yeah, I, I can't look past that one. That's yeah. always been the one that stands out to me. Yeah, I mean, there was a there was a notable one from. Uh, I mean, it had to be Albon because he was the only Red Bull in the race at the point, but. I think it was Norris who was overtaking. And he kind of went yeah. round the outside of Norris. I think that was maybe at turn four. And then pulled away from him through the, the fast. Yeah, because I think he had to go stuff. into turn one and didn't make it past and then sort of yeah. made it stink turn four. Yeah, that was a good one. That was a nice one. That whole like, norris I don't think it was as Perez then again, battle was really nice. Yeah, Perez, Perez was part of that, wasn't he? Yeah. And, and then he ended up with the position over the both of them so yeah that's that's a notable one but yeah. I, I don't think anything can beat the Russell one no, for me just for same. the sheer sheer viewing pleasure <laughs> <laughs> and then finally honestly what the f- are we doing here hmm <laughs> where it's... do we go with this <laughs> I'm sure there are other candidates but it's hard to look past sending a car out with two of their tires and two of someone else's. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's weird because there's a few moments in the race where you could quite easily give it to that. Like I think um, Aitken's little pirouette, for example. I'd yeah. Be like, that's a bit of a WTF for me. I'm not only managing to lose the nose. Um, but yeah, it's, it, surely it's got to be that bumbling pit stop. Like, I can't think of anything that had me more like WTF is going on here. I mean, Ferrari making a precautionary engine change for Vettel and sticking an old engine in his car on a circuit that is very engine dependent mm. was uh, not great. Yeah. But yeah, it's that was before the pit stop. Exactly. Yeah, the... I just I just can't look past the Mercedes calamity. Yeah, like wrong wrong tires on a car, and George having to come back around and have him taken off. Bottas ending up just having to stay on the tires it was on. The wheels up in flame. Well, the brakes specifically up in flames because he sat there that long. Like it was just. It was just calamity. I'll bet you could take the replay of that incident and put like comedy style music over the top of it <laughs> and it would fit perfectly. The only thing it was like... missing was flat caps really, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, there's like, there's, there's guys sort of looking at each other, practically shrugging, going, I don't know. Like, it's it's just madness. It's at that I think like everyone is capable of mistakes at any level, but I think <laughs> the, what we expect of Mercedes and what Mercedes expect of themselves, that is a colossal one. Yeah. I think it 
I'm sure it wasn't this dramatic, but it feels like in my <laughs> head for Bottas, the guys on the front left sort of took the wheel off and looked around and then put it back on and then took it off again. Like, what are we, what are we doing? Oh, God, I guess I'll put it back on again then. Yeah. I mean, there was probably a point where Bottas went, Honestly, what the f*** are we doing here? <laughs> Which is why it's a perfect moment. For it me. is, yeah. It did right <laughs> There we go. Done. Do you want to take uh, us through a difficult week in predictions? Yeah, I mean... I looked at the results before we recorded and I have to say I'm impressed that people got three points here. To me, three points was probably the maximum achievable. I was um, thrilled because, with one. Yeah, like, I mean, if anybody had have got the winner, I'd have called a fix. I'd have been questioning my <laughs> own system at this point if somebody had got the winner, I'm not going to lie. Um, in terms of things like first DNF, plausible. Some people did get that. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll go. Let me go through this in stages, I guess. Top scorers this week. There's two people, both with three points, both getting the three predictions you'd expect them to get: a Valtteri Bottas fastest qualifier, Charles Leclerc first DNF, 17 finishes. Uh, those two people are Lewis Jones and Charlotte Taylor. Congratulations to you on three points. A number of people managed to finish the weekend on two points. 37 of them, to be precise. Um, nearly every single one of them, in fact, every single one of them, bar one, went for Bottas and 17 finishes. Um, Sarah Janis went for Bottas and Charles Leclerc first DNF. Again, all understandable. Uh, between us, we all scored a point each. Chris, you went for Bottas as pole sitter. Um, Chris, uh, Stu and I went for 17 finishes. So again, all understandable. The one true highlight of this, however, though, is someone with a single point. It's only a single point, albeit it is what the point is for, accompanied by the rest of their predictions and also their name. We have an entry named Amazon Web Services <laughs> who managed to predict Max Verstappen as the 19th finisher because of his position in terms of DNF structure. That's how it works. So we will always classify people by where they <laughs> DNF'd if they didn't finish the race. So there's a point there for Amazon Web Services. Congratulations, AWS. Wow. Um, what was also a highlight for me, however, was the following, which was <laughs> fastest thing Q3, Pietro Fittipaldi. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Winner of the race, Jack Aitken. Mm -hmm. First DNF, nobody. And number of finishes, 20. Max Verstappen, 19. Wow. Basically, they kind of went for reverse grid options. Yeah. There, I think. And But the irony is they've scored a point. So joke's on you, Amazon Web Services. You did this to take the mickey, but you scored a point. <laughs> that, I mean, they're as accurate <laughs> as ever, aren't they? Oh, yeah. That, I mean, to be fair, that does quite sum up Amazon Web Services. I mean, like, they might get it once, uh, right once or twice. Another WF candidate actually was during the race, you got the Amazon graphics showing Russell's tyres were on like 10%. And he was immediately followed by a radio message of Russell saying, yep, tyres feel fine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I absolutely loved the, um, the, the, the FP2 graphic from an AWS perspective of here after FP2 is how we predict the grid will be. And there were like random drivers that they'd gone, 
this is an unexpected result. It's like it's not a result. <laughs> like it highlight it highlighted certain drivers and the the marker that it highlighted them with. It said said at the bottom in the footnotes like unexpected result. Like it's not a result. It's your yeah, prediction. You came up with it. <laughs> it's guesswork. <laughs> I mean, admittedly, they said that Bottas would be fastest in Q three. That is what the graphic said, but even still, it's Jeez. so redundant. Um, in terms of the overall standings, to bring it back to predictions that matter, um, it is so ridiculously close going into this final weekend. We have Wit Happens and Nathan Bailey tied for first place on 31 points. Oh, wow. We then have Chris uh, Mannering, Lee Scott, and Richard Garvey all tied behind them on 29 points. And then, I mean, realistically, there's now 15 people still in it uh, because we, we that's, you go that far down to get to people with 27 points. And obviously a five-point weekend would put you on 32, Jeez. which would be a win. So mathematically, there's still 15 of you involved in this. So good luck to you all. Um, in terms of us... I marginally keep above Stew um, because we all scored the same this week. So I'm 36th with 24 points. Stew is 48th with 23 and a half. So a lot of people are on 24 <laughs> points with me. Uh, and you, Chris, are 79th with 19 <sighs> points. I need a um, really good last weekend to. Uh... I, I just want to, and just just for the record, Amazon Web Services are <laughs> in tied two hundred eighty fifth place on the single point. The the worst Did part is just looking at the standings. There's a guy on the same number of points as me who's only entered nine races. He's done seven <laughs> less than me and scored the same bloody number of points. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I, I guess there's there's a couple of notable people within the the. the pointy end like in the running for the title that have done slightly less races than the others yeah. so that that's slightly impressive but um yeah i just noticed from looking at the standards as well amazon web services did also predict the previous race oh wow um, they were regular so i'm now going to try and find out what they went for <laughs> They went for <laughs> so last week. I just noticed they entered two races, so I had to check. Amazon Web Services last week had gone for Charles Leclerc fastest in Q3. Uh, Nicholas Latifi is the race winner, and again, no DNFs, twenty finishes. Um, who was our random driver? Because they put them fourth. I've forgotten who that was. Daniel Kvyat. Yeah, Kvyat last week. Yeah. So that was their ambitious attempt last week. Congratulations to you, Amazon Web Services, whoever you may be. <laughs> uh, let's cover a few other things that happened over the weekend quickly. Uh, there were two amazing F2 races to wrap up their season. Mick Schumacher managed to wrap up the F2 title despite an absolutely disastrous qualifying and sprint race. Yeah. Um, but he managed to finish sixth in the feature race from 18th on the grid uh, to hold off Callum Eilert. That sixth place with the fastest lap basically means he equals Callum Eilert's points in the uh, feature race. So Eilert needed a massive turnaround in the uh, in the sprint race, which at one point it looked like it might be possible. It was a, a hell of a, a finish to the season. But yeah, Schumacher wrapped up the title. We've also had confirmation in the last week that he's now going to be following his father's footsteps into Formula 1 next year at the... Uh, has seat alongside Nikita Mazepin. So, I mean, yeah, really exciting to see a Schumacher back in Formula 1. We've been saying for a few years now that it's it's on the cards, but 
he's maybe doing it a little quicker than a lot of people thought, but I mean, he seemed ready. He seemed ready for it from what I've seen this season. Yeah, I think the way he dealt with what was a difficult weekend for him, the most parts to get the job done, uh, was decent. It was impressive. Well, yeah. maybe impressive is a bit strong, but I mean, he, he got the job done ultimately, yeah. which is what he needed to do. Exactly, yeah. Um, however, I'm more impressed with Yuki Tsunoda. This yes, weekend. he had a phenomenal because weekend. He he was on the brink of not having enough super license points for next season to be to be eligible for F one should he need to be, um, and I mean he did. Every, I mean, there was only one way he was ever going to win the title, and it it needed certain scenarios like. Mick Schumacher not scoring points, for example. Yeah. But, I mean, Yuki Tsunoda did pretty much everything in his power to make sure he scored as many points as possible. Pole position in qualifying, that's four points, I believe, in yeah. um, in, in, the week, in the weekend for Formula 2. Then won the feature race from pole and then came second in the sprint race after the reverse grid switch. So... There's not a huge amount more he could have done. It was no. an absolutely storming weekend from UK. Yeah. And I'm I'm proud that he managed to claw his way back into that third position and ultimately only finished like fifteen points behind Schumacher. Yeah. It was Which considering how, how much we'd said about Schumacher's recent form and stuff like that, that's impressive in itself. Like um Schwartzman was a contender for the title a long while ago and he finished 23 points behind on 177 so yeah it's a good finish from UK that yeah really so, good very um, very pleased to have seen and and it's another one of those that's like it's endearing to or, or, or however you'd like to put it it's one of those that it was nice to see like he's he's a really likable guy he is yeah and like everyone you within the team well. is really fond of him and you can see the guys at Alpha Terry yeah. where we're almost certain that he's going to get one of the Alpha Terry seats next season um, yeah yeah re- really really happy for him um, yeah another quick bit of news we've had the W Series calendar confirmed for next season that's the all female single seater series that's going to be a um, F1 support series they are increasing from six rounds in their first season to nine rounds next year, all of which are going to be at uh, F1 Grand Prix. We initially, it sort of suggested they might be doing some rounds of support races, but I've confirmed now they're all going to be F1 support races. They're going to be at Paul Ricard, Red Bull Ring, Silverstone, Hungara Ring, Spa, Zandvoort, Circuit of the Americas, and then finishing up at the Mexican Grand Prix at the Hermanos Rodriguez Circuit. Uh, That's a nice selection for them. It's a really good selection, yeah. I mean, poor Ricard's a shame, but the rest is a nice selection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so first. So I was thinking more. Of, I was thinking just more for fans, really. Yeah, it's true. In terms of fans being able to, well, I guess I say for fans being able to see it and experience it. But I think the thing that we we know going forward is that the calendar should be able to go ahead pretty much as per a normal it season next way, year. Yeah. And the thing that's just up in air is if spectators will be allowed and if so, what numbers yeah. of spectators are going to be allowed. So, yeah, I, I think we'll have a more normal series in terms of calendar next year. It but... certainly feels that way currently. That's the, the plan. Um, yeah. As you mentioned a week or two ago, F2 and F3 are going to be splitting up next season. So Silverstone is going to be F2 as well as W Series. All the rest are going to be F3 except for Mexico, which currently doesn't have any other um, support series on the 
on the plan. So it could be that W Series is getting sort of a bit more of a spotlight on it for their final round in Mexico, which would be quite cool. Shall we at this point look ahead to the final race of the season, unbelievably, in Abu Dhabi? Yeah, we somehow managed it. It's somehow managed to get there. (laughs) Yeah. It's, It's been such a weird year for so many reasons, but we have had a full F1 season and we're nearly done with it. Uh, yeah. So a few quick storylines going into it. Obviously, the big one is who's going to be in that Mercedes car. And if it is Russell, how do we think he'll do if he gets a second second bite of the cherry, as it were? Yeah. I, I think Lewis will obviously do everything he can to be back in it. He's, he's not one to take these things lying down. Um, I've seen that he's posted on social media today saying he's starting to feel better and he's hoping to try and get some tests done uh, as soon as he's out of like official quarantine duration to to see if he is he's going to be able to to race um whether he will or not is another matter because a it's quite strict between the two countries that we're leaving and going to mm-hmm. the, the the rules and regulations for them in terms of covid are quite strict uh, and also the fact that just because he's less symptomatic, it doesn't necessarily mean he's completely free of the virus. So, he, but I believe he's got to do four negative tests that, that's, over a certain yeah, time period to be to be, to be allowed back in the seat. Uh, so it could be cutting it quite fine, I guess. So for now, I'm I'm just kind of going into next weekend on the basis that the grid will remain as it is. To be totally honest, I'll be. V- I'll be very surprised if he's on the grid this weekend. I mean, obviously, we hope mm. he does get well soon. Uh, I did see Will yeah. Buxton, who missed a few races earlier this year because he uh, came down with COVID. He said that in his experience, the when you start feeling better a few days into it, that's normally just before it comes back and hits you <laughs> even harder for another few days. So, yeah, m- by all accounts, he's been he's been feeling it as well. He's not been like yeah. a, a, lot, a lot of people are lucky enough to be asymptomatic and and not suffer too badly with it despite having to isolate but it sounds like lewis has not been one of those lucky few and i think that that it does highlight um it does highlight like what this actually is for us as just humanity because like for someone who in Pretty much anyone, like it's very hard to deny this particular fact, and that is, he is one of the sort of most um, in shape and well looked after bodies of the the current living human race. Like, yeah. it's very difficult to deny that. Like, he keeps himself in shape. He has a very very strict and very specific diet. Like, there's so much goes into his fitness regime. He is a very very strong specimen of our entire species <laughs> <laughs> but he's suffering with that and i think that goes to show like hopefully it might open a few eyes to people who have doubted it i guess maybe fingers crossed and, and I, I mean it, it doesn't always hit home until it hits you in this kind of scenario i guess for some people yeah so but yeah it's i mean i wish him all the best obviously but i kind of want to see george race the <laughs> it's, it's a weird place to be isn't it yeah, <laughs> I, so. yeah. 
very much wanted him to get better, but also would love to see George end the shot. Yeah, we'll see. I, I mean, I'd like I'd like to see the Mercs racing against each other properly without these silly issues that have caused the drama of this weekend at a circuit that presents slightly more just in general, I guess, because four braking zones and a lot of flat-out straights is not necessarily the best example. I, I'd also like to see if they could fit George in the car better in the next yeah. week. <laughs> but I, I guess it's a difficult scenario for them because if they start making changes in that area to help accommodate George and suddenly Lewis is back in it, it's all going to be wrong stuff, as like, it. What are you doing to my car? <laughs> yeah, I, like, I don't envy them. No, it's a tricky um, situation it, to be in. It also just highlights how built, literally, it's built around Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, I think completely. George Russell trying to just sit in the thing showed how much it's literally built around Lewis Hamilton. Well, I saw, I think it was George Russell himself said that like Mercedes as an entity in F1, they've built cars for Michael Schumacher, Nico Rosberg, Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas and they're all of a similar height so it's not even that this car yeah. is like built around Hamilton it's that Mercedes have never even considered <laughs> the prospect of building a car for someone of Russell's height I mean it's weird because you don't generally see drivers over six foot in this sport no for the most part but just because of the nature of it I think like most drivers are well under that um and examples of Mark Webber having troubles troubles in the past uh, Jensen had a couple. I know he's not necessarily always, he's not necessarily that tall, is he? I don't think, but he's tall for he a racing troubles. driver. Yeah, tall for a race driver. George Russell's six foot two, <laughs> and you could definitely tell that when he was <laughs> driving that Mercedes. Um, and then as well, like Damon Hill talks a lot about the problems that he used to have when, yeah. he, when he first went to Williams. Um, he used to have a lot of issues with the way the car was designed and trying to fit in it physically. So yeah, it's not it's not a sport for those over that six foot barrier, is it? No, and and obviously that's why I've never made it. That's the only reason. <laughs> great excuse, <laughs> brilliant excuse. <laughs> Another quick couple of storylines. There's obviously still things to play for in the standings. The big one being third in the constructors and whether Racing Point can hold on to that. There's also a few driver positions that can change. Um, I believe. Bottas is safe now in second place. Um, Perez can still be caught by Ricardo for fourth place. Somehow, Charles Leclerc is still in sixth in the constructors with Sainz, Albon, and Norris all behind him, but all three of those can overtake him. So, still quite a lot to race for in terms of championship positions. And then the final storyline is how many drivers are we going to be saying goodbye to? Because, yeah. For like, this doesn't seem to happen very often, but we're going into the last race of the season not really knowing who we're losing. Obviously, we know the two Haas drivers won't be back next season, but there's still a question mark over uh, Perez. There's still a question mark over Albon. Kvyat, we're almost certain he's going, but that's not been 100% confirmed yet. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's it's always nice to see drivers get a proper send off, and I think we're going to miss that for a lot of them, unfortunately. Yes, yeah, it's, it's it's a bit of a shame, isn't it? When yeah, I mean, it, it it can't be nice knowing your career is over after a race, 
it's got to be as a driver, it's probably a nicer thing to have not had a replacement confirmed <laughs> yeah. so that you know you're still fighting for something. Yeah, exactly. Um but yeah, it's I guess it does make it a bit more difficult because you don't know whether you're actually saying goodbye to a driver that might and yeah. not be in the series the year after. Um in, in answer to your Bottas thing, by the way, mathematically Max could still catch him. Okay, he can still catch um, him, but I guess he needs a DNF for Bottas, right? Um more or less, yeah. yeah. And a good result for Max. He's sixteen points ah, okay. behind. I was a bit closer than I thought. So, yeah, it's um mathematically it's doable. But it needs a very specific set of yeah. scenarios really to come around for that to be. Is, what's that? That's a max win or second place. Yeah, with a bottas. Um, maybe one or the other. And or, or maybe a third with the fastest lap. And then it goes on count back after that. Yeah. Uh, which I'd I mean <laughs> We'll figure that bottas out if we need to. Bottas has been that I mean No, the Max Verstappen fans want to know this, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> they want to know the mathematical situation here. I, I'd assume that if if it is third with the fastest lap point, it, I'm pretty sure the way the countback works is number of wins, is it not? Yes, it's whoever's got the most wins, and if that's equal, it's number of seconds, and if that's equal, thirds, right. and so on and so, so on. So then in that scenario, it would be Bottas because he's got the two wins, yeah. the, the one in, from the first race in Austria, and then Russia, Max only has the one at the 70th anniversary yes, in Silverstone. So it's got to be first or second for Max, and... Bottas has to either not score or finish a quite a long way down the order. Not impossible, though. It's not impossible. Stranger things have happened as this weekend just gone proved. Indeed. What are we going to do then about predictions for this weekend? Because as things currently stand, we don't even know who (laughs) is going to be making up the whole grid. I think the safest thing for us to do at this particular moment in time is we've even left it a day later to see if anything settled, and it did not. <laughs> I'm literally um, refreshing Twitter as we're recording, just in case <laughs> something gets announced. Oh, don't refresh Twitter. They took the driver statuses of which team they fought off Twitter earlier, and the world <laughs> went insane. So don't use Twitter as a reference point, Chris, please. Actually, Mercedes, um, no. <laughs> um, Mercedes earlier on tweeted a picture of their Instagram, and they'd like change something in their profile description. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I just said, don't worry guys, it's just Instagram. It doesn't matter. <laughs> That's quite good. I mean, I do like the social media reps for most of the teams, to be honest. Yeah. Except probably like Ferrari and Alpha. They're a bit boring. They're a bit just like, a bit dry, this is they? the car. This is the driver. This is what is happening. At least the other teams like kind of have a bit of fun with each a other. A personality. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, now, in, in terms of predictions, I think the safest thing for us to do right now is draw a random driver, including the one random drive, the one extra driver that we know will be on the grid, which is Fittipaldi. We we know that he will be uh, filling Roman Grosjean's place again this weekend coming up, uh, and then. We will open up predictions, I guess, once we know which drivers need to be eligible in the boxes. So as soon yeah. as we know... Um, so, I mean, by, you, by the time you're hearing this, if the news has broken, which knowing our look, it probably will have, <laughs> because usually as soon as we put an episode on the onto the cutting room, it's, um, it's news ahoy. broken. 
Yeah. Like, I mean, it completely trashed last week's predictions, didn't it? Yeah. So we had to re- we literally had to redo them for the first time ever. I'm surprised it's never happened before. But yeah, we had to redo them. So I think that's probably what we'll do. We'll we'll do them as soon as everything's confirmed. Yeah, and we'll put them on and then Twitter. As yeah, as part of that, we will tweet them out as we did similarly. Uh we just gone after we had to change them. And then that will be your cue to get involved, I guess. Um, yeah. I mean, it's definitely worth getting involved. Even if you've not done it for the other races this year, head to backofthegrid.com, sign up, just like Amazon Web Services did. <laughs> you could get points, and if you get five, you will be winning a prize. We've only just recently had one. Yep. I didn't think it could happen with the way this season's been We've had at times, two this season, three, I think. We've definitely had two. I know we've had two, because for some reason... They seem to be Australian. Yeah, they always seem to be as far away as possible to send a prize to. The other, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's either it's either just because it's our look, we have that kind of look <laughs> of <laughs> it's just it's just bad luck. <laughs> um, I mean, it's good for the Australians that they're winning titles in the back of the group predictions yeah. league and stuff. I mean, we but... have a lot of Australian listeners, and we we do love you all very much. But uh... <laughs> yeah, but just stop winning predictions. Stop being so please. good. <laughs> <laughs> it's expensive postage man (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah uh, it's definitely worth getting involved because if you get that five out of five on the final weekend you are going to be winning the prize Uh, and alongside our season champion yeah make sure you check those standings because if you're in that top 15 i mentioned earlier there's there's obviously a few of you there your predictions really do count this weekend as, as much as they ever have think of yourself as sergio perez fighting to earn a seat next season. <laughs> Should we have a Lewis a... Hamilton comparison is not a good one for this. No, scenario. not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Should we have ourselves a random driver? Yes, let's draw that random driver so some... at least people listening can start thinking about things. There's some big names still, surprisingly, in the in the final five. Mm. Bottas, Sainz, Stroll are all still in there. But the one nice. we have in this week is... It is <laughs> Valtteri Bottas. Oh, no. What a random driver for the final week. Oh, that is very dependent on what happens with Lewis now. It I think. really, really is. Oof. Damn. Yeah. I mean, good luck with that, people. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> and shall we finish up with a bit of inbox? Is. Uh, keep me saying now. Stay, stay out. Box, box, box. Hey, man. Uh, right, let's do the first one then. Um, might have to rattle through these a bit because I've just realised how long we've been talking <laughs> about George Russell. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Thompson says, uh, these last couple of years have thrown up some truly brilliant races. I know the World Drivers' Championship hasn't been that exciting, but I feel like we're constantly seeing some of the best ever racing excitement in F1, and I've been watching for over 25 years. Do you think the same? Sorry, for 25 years, not over 25 years. Apologies for accidentally maybe adding years to your <laughs> age there, Alex. I do agree, actually. This season in particular, I have enjoyed this season more than a lot in recent years, I think. It's it, it's just it just shows that on paper, you look at this season and maybe the last few as well, and you just see Lewis Hamilton on the results week in, week out. But actually, there's so much more going on behind that yeah. that makes it worthwhile watching. Yeah, I mean, the six teams podiums thing that I was on yeah, about before crazy. I think highlights a lot of that. Um, people bang on about that era where you had 
what was it, eight different years, eight different winners in the first eight races that season. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, fair enough, we've not had that, but it's a similar level of variety behind. Like, I mean, I used, I, I watched a lot, like Alex and people who have watched back to this point and, and sooner. I remember having to watch what was going on behind Schumacher, but that's how I found enjoyment in the sport. <laughs> like, we, we all, at that particular era, we all knew rocking up most weekends, the Ferrari and Schumacher were going to dominate. That's where the main points were going. That's where the titles are going at the end of the season. But we all we were all there to watch the whole weekend as a spectacle. And then if you pin it all too much on a single driver or like the fact of, oh, well, I know who's going to win. Like, you don't actually know who's going to win. You don't act like, because I'll guarantee you those people who were like, well, we know Lewis wins every single week will have gone, well, we all know Bottas is going to win this week. <laughs> yeah. And look look what happened. Like, So I think you need to look a bit deeper into the sport as a whole. Yeah, if this season's like, proved anything, it's that you actually never know. And Yeah. I mean, it's like supporting a particular football team and saying the whole sport's rubbish and not entertaining because your team isn't doing that well or isn't winning the title. Yeah, it's like... You've got to look further afield sometimes. Yeah. For a comparison, I guess. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Next from Callum Hall, do you think this weekend has been a good advert for shorter tracks? It meant there were really uh, meant that there were no really good pit windows and kept the action close together all the time, forcing overtaking and on track battles. Or maybe it was just the lack of Hamilton being thirty seconds ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there's an argument to be made for trying to mix one or two of these in. I think I think the the key is. It's a shorter track with high speed because uh, Monaco's still yeah. a shorter track than this one. That's but a very good point. It, so it's not necessarily short track is the answer, but I think there is something to be said for a, a, a track or two. It, it comes back to the point we made a couple of times again, I think, that having these invitational races or, or however you want, I don't know how you'd phrase it, like the the ones that like will change from season almost. to season. Yeah, like wildcard kind of events. So there's like two, maybe three spots on that calendar that are always up for, it could be a back-to-back weekend at Sakia. It might be a back-to-back weekend at Silverstone. And what we do is instead of using the Grand Prix circuit, we do use one of the shorter circuits at Silverstone. Um, and, and you know, like things like that to, to mix it up a little bit. Mm. Um, I think it has something to be said for that. Like we got lucky a little bit, I think, with Silverstone and Austria because Austria had the the extreme weather differences, and Silverstone had uh, the difference in tire compounds between the two races. So that mixed up races that were essentially the same track. But I think there is something to be said for like using the other variants of a circuit, and there's plenty of circuits that we go to or have been to this season that could host multiple layouts and yeah. formats. I did have the same thought as uh, Callum over the weekend, though. I, I did really think that it being a short track added a really interesting, different element to the racing because it just made everything that much more kind of focused and tied together and your mistakes yeah. would be that much more punished by it and stuff like that. So, 
Well, I mean, a pit stop's practically half a lap in time. Yeah, exactly. So, which is crazy. Which made going through the pit phases quite hard to keep track of who was actually in yeah. what position, but in a yeah. in an entertaining way. Yeah, definitely. Uh, another one, Talia K uh, says an F two question specifically this time. Uh, I know on paper Schumacher had an awful weekend to win this championship, but the way he managed the sprint race after making a mistake so Eilert didn't have the tyres was super impressive. For me, the ability to limit losses uh, is his standout quality uh, that will set him up for some success in F1 um, where things, especially in a Haas, rarely go to plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is his uh, what is his standout quality for you? Uh, I think... It's funny because a few weeks ago we were talking about him and we said that he tends not to be a sort of flashy driver. He's more a grind results out kind of driver. And then the uh, feature race this weekend just gone. He was the complete opposite of that. And he was very much a risk-taking, yeah. flashy overtakes kind of driver. But if you look at the the number of wins each driver has got in F2 this season, like he's not that high on that list. And he is very much yeah. a grind out the best result possible each weekend kind of driver and even if that can't be a win he'll absolutely maximize what is possible and yeah i do think that's going to suit him well in formula one um it's he's going to have a tough time in that has for sure but uh it's going to set him up well i think for future years yeah we touched on it a little bit earlier when we talked about that series didn't we the fact that he's kind of got his head down and it was a tough weekend for him, but he got done what he needed to get done. Um, and it, it can't be easy watching like uh, UK go and pretty much dominate the weekend, knowing he's that close behind him as well, because all it took was a couple of drastic mistakes from Schumacher in, in under pressure and it could have all been very different for him. So uh, to keep his cool and, and grind out the results that he needed to get there. It's what good drivers do because good drivers want to win everything, but I think brilliant drivers know they can't win everything. And that's the difference where really good drivers maximize the potential result because you can't win everything unless you Lewis Hamilton in a Mercedes. <laughs> and even then. <laughs> but yeah, but, but I mean, he does he does the same thing. Seb's done the same thing. I find myself talking about the same drivers week in, week out, so I'm just going to shut up. But hmm. certain drivers have a knack for making the most out of being punted to the back of the field in a first lap incident. Hi, Sergio Perez. <laughs> <laughs> another one uh, yeah I'll do two together here that are sort of along a similar line uh, Lady says if Red Bull decide to sign Sergio do you think Mercedes might respond by signing Lewis and George for 2021 George has shown he can hold his own in the Merck and Bottas's recent performances have been a bit meh and Holly says do you think it's a case of when and not if Bottas will lose his seat now after Russell's performance in the Mercedes this weekend um, well, Bottas is already signed up for next season on a one-year contract, isn't he? I believe he is. I mean, the history of F1 shows that contracts aren't necessarily everything. You know, True. they're only as good as the paper they're written on, sort of thing. But I don't think they're going to do anything drastic. Like, there's rumblings going on today from the paddock that 
Red Bull are now sniffing around George Russell to sort of say, well, <laughs> yeah, you know, Mercedes aren't going to give you a, a top seat anytime soon, so come and have one of ours, which is clearly just trying to rock the boat and force Mercedes' hand. Um, but yeah, I think that's just Red Bull publicists causing trouble. Yes, what you say. Um, I think that George has faith in the Mercedes system as well, because one thing that um, kind of stood out to me a little bit because of this weekend was there's a little piece that Sky Sports run in between F1 coverage and other series coverage. And it's a little piece they did with, it was Russell, Aitken and Callum Islet last season, where they went and drove some rallycross cars around Silverstone during the Silverstone mm-hmm. GP weekend last season. And one of the very specific things that really stands out to me is something George Russell says during that piece, which is, I'm really happy with Mercedes and the way that they respond to my performances and me meeting the goals that they set me. They set me goals, and if I meet them or exceed them, they will give me the opportunities I ask for. And he specifically mentioned, I asked after winning... Uh, F3 or GP3 as it possibly was then. I'm trying to remember where yeah, he changed name. Um, but after, after winning that series, he basically turned around to Toto and said, look, I've just won that series. You didn't even expect me to win it and I've nailed it. I want some testing time at, at something like um, race, well, Force India as it was then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they gave it to him. We, we, we had that. Yeah. And then he's then done the same thing with Formula 2. Like, I'm, I'm winning this title. I want to be in an F1 car. And he's then... Oh, in fact, it can't have been last season, can it? Because he was racing. Yeah, So it must before. have been the season before. Um, it just dawned on me that he's, <laughs> he's done two seasons. Uh, but like, that's what I mean. Like, he's clearly got faith in that system and he knows he has a talent that Mercedes want and he knows that he can use that to to work his way up that roster at Mercedes. And I think he knows that Mercedes will give it to him, given that he's performing. So I I think he's got an argument to basically go to Toto Wolff and say, I want to be considered for 2022. Yeah. And Uh, once like the current contracts are done with the current drivers. And honestly, I think he's, I already thought he was uh, of, one of the most likely candidates after this last weekend, I think he's almost a shoo-in for that seat. Yeah. Especially with Bottas only having like rolling one-year contracts for a few years now. Um, it's it's easy to think that he's kind of a bit left and forgotten about in that Williams, but as you say, like him and Toto are still incredibly close and they keep very, very close tabs on his progress. So, yeah. It's it, it, this... You know, as as good as he did last weekend, I don't think it'll be a huge surprise to Mercedes that he did that well because they will see his data. They know what he's capable yeah. of. Exactly. Exactly. Um, another one. Uh, let's see what we've got next. Uh, Mr. Boat. Interesting name. Hmm. I like it. Uh, with Charles diving up the inside of Perez on lap one, does this validate what Vettel said last race when Charles did a similar thing to him? Mm. It's a bit of a... I think like first lap lunges are a bit of a weakness of Leclerc, if you would say he had any. Uh, yeah. There's been a few examples of it this season, for sure. Uh, Leclerc always strikes me as a bit of an all-or-nothing driver. Mm. Um, uh, and he will DNF if, if, he, if, he, if he was going to finish outside the point, if he wasn't going to maximise what he could do 
he's going to DNF almost. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I feel like certain incidents he's had in his recent time, um, like, he will extract either the absolute most out of it or nothing at all. Because <laughs> it's like in a wall or in the side of somebody else's car or something. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's qualifying. Like, the, the, I think his, his attitude in qualifying said that, if nothing else, where he pulled that ridiculous lap out of the bag yeah. where he must have been hooked up through every single corner to, to do what he did. And he basically spent the rest of the session stood on the pit wall watching everyone else. And there was like a little bit of a look to camera of, well, I'm not beating that, so <laughs> that's I, might as well just, I might as well just chill out. Like, And I think that's the case. It it's a bit all or nothing kind of attitude. And yes, it's something he needs to work on because he needs to learn that racers aren't won and lost in that first lap. But we used to have a similar sort of scenario with Max for a while. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's just part and of Max chilled out growing as a driver, isn't it? And I don't have much doubt mm. that he will grow as a driver. And, I mean, as much as Ferrari love him, they won't continue loving him if he keeps doing that. No, totally. Once the car's on par with some of the others up the front. Ferrari love is very conditional, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and I say once he, the Ferrari is on pace with them because I do have faith as a long-term F1 fan and follower that Ferrari will eventually get their act together. Oh, and completely. They will be competing at the front again. Yeah, totally. because Ferrari do not take things like this lying down. And we we got very close last season to that, and whatever they were doing <laughs> was naughty. So <laughs> we lost it. To put it mildly, but they're getting there. Yeah. They'll get there. Yeah, totally. They will. Final question from Liam McEwen. Do you guys think that this first podium for Ocon is the kind of boost he needs? He's been consistently kind of meh. Not bad, not great. He obviously has talent, but if he doesn't get it together next season, surely he becomes under threat from Gasly. I I do think yeah. that he's going to be in a fight with Gasly for the Renault seat in 2022. Yeah. Gasly's stock yeah. has gone way up this season, and if he can keep that momentum going next year, I think Renault are going to be looking very closely at him. Yeah, I, I think Renault are uh, one of those teams that still see like some sentimental value in having a French driver in a French team. Yeah. So drivers like Ocon and Gasly appeal to them for such a reason. Um, I think given this season, Gasly was a front runner for that seat the next time it came up. But it's like I said earlier, I think if Ocon can build on it going into this weekend coming up and then carry that forward, which is obviously difficult over the winter break, but carry that forward into next season, then I think it would be hard to look at replacing him. Very hard to look at replacing him. Then again, we are looking at a scenario where Sergio Perez is seatless as it stands. Well, yeah, so So who knows? Stranger things have happened. Very much so. Uh, but then again, Ocon's dad doesn't own Renault, so <laughs> not that we know of. <laughs> no, from, from so. a slightly more humble uh, background. I, actually, yeah, there's, go look at Esteban Ocon's path to racing. Yeah, if you ever get time, because he's uh, p- people talk about having to have money to race. E- even the people that aren't pay drivers have had money to get to where they are. But Esteban Ocon's path to get to where he is is kind of very humbling and 
very much not not the standard that you'd expect no. for an F1 driver. And the same goes for Gasly, actually, interestingly. Yeah, Gasly's quite quite similar, I guess. Yeah, because yeah. there's, there's a Drive to Survive episode that's focused quite heavily on Gasly, isn't it, that talks about his kind of where he came from and stuff. So, Yeah. But yeah, so, de- yeah. that's definitely going to be a storyline running through next year, I think. Yeah, the fight for that seat. Yeah, and I think that will uh, do us for this week. Apologies if you're not a George Russell fan because we spent quite a long time talking <laughs> about him, but yeah. we couldn't not under the circumstances. But thank you for joining us, regardless of your opinions on George Russell. <laughs> I uh, mean, if you, I kind of forgive you if you just skipped 20 minutes yeah. of, the, of the episode and just got to the other stuff. As we already mentioned, it's the final race in the Predictions League as well as the final race of the season. So even if you've never taken part, please do go to MacTheGrid.com where you can sign up for free to be in with a chance of winning a prize. And if you've been playing all season, don't forget to enter your final predictions to try and scrape your way to the top, as many of you are able to. If you want to get in touch with us otherwise, you can find a contact form on the website. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Back of the Grid and you will find us. And that will do it for the final preview of the 2020 season. So we will speak to you in a week's time to go over the final race of the season uh, before we move on to our review and awards over the uh, Christmas and New Year break. But for this week at least, it's goodbye. I've just realized what I've got to look forward to (laughs) (laughs) because that's not going to be an easy episode. (laughs) But goodbye. I'll think about it until then. Breaking news. Oh, no way. Marcus Ericsson yeah. staying with uh, Chip Ganassi Racing for the next IndyCar season. <laughs> Congratulations. <Marcus. laughs> thought I'd give you a minor heart that. attack then. <laughs> I genuinely thought there might have been something. <laughs> then. I, guess, I guess it's about time for American sports car news <laughs> at the moment because it's late time. Yeah. <laughs>